War Room the Hockey Podcast, episode 54, we are recording. Uh-huh. Um, 54 episodes, so... Not bad. Not bad longevity so far. Summer uh-huh. and uh, what, and and now this general shutdown thing going on. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Update real quick before we jump into things. Um, the... Uh, 24 team playoff format is gaining traction from all the headlines I'm seeing and reading. So we'll see how accurate that is and how much that happens. Um, a lot of traction from hockey insiders, which is why I give it at least a little credibility uh, to the idea of hub cities and, um, a 24 team tournament with, um, like we mentioned in weeks before with, uh, the top four teams in each conference, getting a buy in the tournament into the second round, which would technically be the playoffs. Right. Because once you get to that point, now you're down to 16 teams, right? And now it's the playoffs. So really on that format, the 24 teams would be the ret- well, the 16 other teams because eight teams would would get a would automatically Colorado Vegas those guys would automatically automatic right? buys and so the other 16 technically if i have it right the format would just be this is your this is your round robin best of 3 whatever they do um, format to play into what would be deemed the playoffs so is I, it, it and i've heard i heard Jonathan Bernier talking about this uh, this morning actually that this was probably going to be a thing that they were probably going to go with some kind of a 2014 play-in. And on the subject of that, but uh, he also said that they had unofficially chosen Vegas for the finals, regardless, uh, or the, I don't know, maybe even conference finals, I don't know. But if... Is it a three team uh, or three best of three or best of five? I think it would, I think what? it would be a best of three is what I heard, but the um, or some some because it, it, it's changed because when I first heard it when we first when I first talked about it it was it was a twenty four team tournament where the uh, the teams play each other in a in some weird format. And now it's a best of three. I don't know, but the, the what I do like about it, if you're going to do it, first of all, is one, it gets hockey back and it awards the Stanley Cup. At the end of the day, it that's what you that's what you need, right? Revenue yes. wise and whatever, it's what you need. Yeah, you need the revenue and everything. Um, but in in for equity's sake, if you're going to have some kind of a weird round robin or a eight eight best of three series between 16 teams or you need basically three weeks to end the season end the regular season normally now you're dragging 500 teams you know 500 win percentage type teams into the into this play-in format where in a three in a best of three series you've got to it just seems dumb to me to play all year and then turn a team loose that is number five in the conference and have them play the team that is now number, what, 12 in the conference or something? It just, why not, you're only gaining a week and a half, why not just finish the regular season? If you're going to do it in a host city, put all these teams together in three host cities or whatever you got to do and get it done. 
I I I 100 percent agree. Done in the same way you would I, have if you played it out. I don't. I like it because it it brings back hockey and yep. it gets you the Stanley Cup. It is what it is, and now and then you can re regroup for next season and hopefully have a regular 82 game schedule and regular playoff format again. Uh, what I don't like about it is on what I've said before, um, amongst other things, is the idea that you know that Colorado can end up playing. Chicago or Minnesota, for example, who playing great down the stretch, but who are own realistically maybe, depending on how you look at it, flip of a coin, are only competing in this situation because of the virus and because of the 24 teams. And now you get a team like Colorado who's, and I use Colorado as an example just because I'm a fan, you get a team like Colorado who's worked all year long battling, battling the likes of Rantanen and Landeskog being injured, Grubauer being injured, Makar being injured, Kadri being injured, Burkowski being injured, Johnson being injured, all these guys, and still being in step with St. Louis for tops of the conference and the division just to potentially get bounced by a team that that's in a rebuild who happened, and good for them for playing well enough to be there, but who happened to be in a position to be included in a 2014 playoff, wouldn't they? So, get... so now all of a sudden, Colorado gets bounced because of it, and now you're look. You know what I mean? That's what. I, that's what I don't. That's the risk you're taking here. Well, yeah. With with those types of teams, so I just that's well, that. But that's that's if you had to if you had the top team play in the bottom team. I thought they were going to do top four in the conference, which would include Colorado, St. Louis, Vegas in the West. The top four get a buy. The that, next four play the I'm, bottom four. That's what so I'm the, the, hearing is that they get a buy. Yeah. So the the seeding in the West, if I if if this was to hold true, would be what five twelve something like that six eleven uh, seven. I so it, that would be a little bit better. Well, if they do it that way, but if they do it in the way that I'm that I've seen headlines of my my concern has validity oh, in yeah, that regard like you you run the risk of these guys working their their butts off for to run that risk now if they do it right which i hope they they do if they stick to 24 teams i hope they maintain at least some integrity by doing it correct per tournament style and then at that point the top four teams in each conference get a buy anyway, and then when they get ready to play, it's the playoffs anyway. So now it's it is what it is. So I hope they do it right. Anyways, we're carrying on about it. It is what it is. <laughs> Hopefully, I, they, there's a report that there's an update on everything within the next seven to ten days. Vegas would make sense as a hub city, um, simply because of all the hotels, all the things. If you're gonna um, adhere to strict distancing policy. You can have a team per hotel pretty much in Vegas, right? And, (laughs) and keep it that way. And then, and, and all that stuff. So Vegas makes sense in that regard. Um, there right now there, the other issue is wanting a Canadian city to be a hub city, but with the border maintaining closure and with the, regulation that you'd have to quarantine for 14 days after crossing the border how do you have teams coming and going for playoffs that way but it's all it's all speculation all up in the air anyways that's the update on the situation 
before anything, make sure um, if you haven't done already, hit pause real quick, head down podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, make sure you subscribe, you rate and review. Uh, make sure if you haven't done so as well, you head to the necessary social media platforms, Worm the Hockey Podcast on Facebook, at Worm the Hockey Podcast on Instagram, the two main ones. Worm the Hockey Podcast does have a Twitter, although it's not used very much, as well as the um, w- website that came with everything, www.warroomhockey.com, where our new episodes um, are linked as well, so you can find them there. Um, follow me at Evan Rauer on the on the social media platforms. Engage with us, write in, ask questions. Um, uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we try we try our best to respond in the best way in future episodes after seeing uh, your question or comment. So um, we appreciate it. This week um, we are doing that very thing. Uh, John Leahy wrote in a couple weeks ago um, about individual or team playoff runs, um, good um, or historic individual team or playoff runs. Um, John, we apologize, it's taken a couple weeks, um, but this is um, this is that episode. I hope we, we do it in a way that you were thinking of, um, but this week we are covering uh, Claude Lemieux and um, kind of covering his career, actually, um, his run through his career, um, which includes a number of accolades, which I think uh, justifies him being used in this format. So he was the first one that popped to mind, and the other one that I want to uh, that I think we should touch on today is the 2012 Kings. We can yeah we can touch on any of that the um, individual team it fits so um, so I'm I'm all for it. War Room the Hockey Podcast episode 53. Make sure you're subscribed and make sure you're rating and re- and reviewing and make sure you're settling in. Um, we uh, just dropped if you're listening to this one. Um, that means you you're now listening to the um, we're still behind a week actually if you're listening to this one because we're still going to be recording um, but that means you have at this point listened to our conversation with Brandon Punier, uh, which was posted by by the time you're listening to this it was posted last week um, that was a great conversation um, really enjoyed it um, it was a fun conversation catching up with a, f- a friend of not only the family but the show um, a good hockey player uh, turning into a tremendous uh, developmental and youth hockey coach. Absolutely. Um, and Doing it the right way. And more importantly than that, to be quite honest, a great friend of us, so it was good to catch up as well. Um, Always. He, he has been quoted afterwards as saying that he, he'll he come back anytime we want him to. So um, <laughs> if he obviously comes- given his coaching schedule and, and things like that, other than that, he's pretty much at our disposal is the way I'm understanding it. So If he have- comes back in, and I hope he does, and I know he will. He said he would come back anytime. Always fun to catch up with him. But we really need, I want to hear about that pizza. Remember the pizza that he and Ethan made? Oh, the two, it was the it was a pizza burger. So it was yeah, they, two f- large, um, can't remember if they ordered out or if they were frozen. I, but I it was two, two full-size large pizzas. One was the bottom bun, if you will, on the bottom. And then in the middle was McDonald's double cheeseburgers and fries and, and fries and Big Macs and all these things in the middle. And then on top was another full large pizza. Yeah, something closing like the we top gotta... as the top bun and then thrown in the oven and cooked together and then sliced. It was like a 
a pizza burger sandwich thing. I, we got to get him to tell that story. I, it, it, was, was an, it was an awesome. It was uh, funny gag. to see. I, we were there when they Loved pulled it, it out of the oven. It was funny to see. So um, <laughs> I didn't know you were there. You were there too. I was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be interesting. Anyway, anyway it was a good yeah, conversation yeah. with Brandon. So you've heard that um, from last week. If you're listening to the, to this one this week, so uh, good conversation. Kind of does my heart good to hear a guy that's doing things the right, way, the right way, the way we would have been doing it if we were still in the game. Well, it's it's not just the way we would be we would be doing it. It's quite frankly, honestly, like we've said before, it, it's not. It's not speculation; it's fact. Yeah. So it's it's, it's good it's to see somebody. Works. It's good to see somebody doing it the right way, yep. based on what the right way is, not Absolutely. just uh, what we think or say. No. So good to see him doing it the right yeah. way. Um, only good things to come for him, so, which is exciting for him. So um, thank you, Brandon, for joining in um, on that, and we look forward to having you again. War Room the Hockey Podcast, episode fifty-three. This week, individual and or uh, team. Uh, runs through in regards to Claude Lemieux, his career, um, but specifically um, playoffs as well. Yeah, um, we, that's where he made his money. Claude Lemieux uh, will be the main one. We'll also touch on the 2012 LA Kings, who squeaked in last day of the regular season as the eighth seed and went on to win the Stanley Cup. Um, what a, from that, a personal stand from a personal fan standpoint, not the biggest LA Kings fan, but objectively that that season and that run for them was um quite uh i don't know if historic would be the word but it was it was um it was quite memorable and it was something that will live on so i guess it's historic so well the historic part of it is that since the playoff format change in 93 that was the first team that came from the wild card and won the cup in the new uh, under the new playoff was that format. was that the new playoff format? Yep, it was the first time, and uh, it was the, so it was the first season of the new playoff format. Yep, no, no, no. Ninety three was the first season of the new playoff format. The twelve kings were the first team to come from from a wild from card. wild card and the eighth seed in the conference to win the Stanley Cup since the playoff format changed okay. in ninety three. Okay, because I'm trying to remember in two thousand twelve if. Um, so it was a wild card in 2012. They were, yes, they were. Because I'm they, trying to remember when the last time was that it was simply deemed one versus eight. One eight. That was prior to '93, if I have my facts right. Well, I mean, it doesn't. It didn't. I, th- I any, we we can quibble. First, we can quibble what it is. But the point is, they were eighth the, seed. They were the first wild eighth, card. They were the first eighth seed or wild card, whatever yes. you want to call it, to do it. And I they mean, went 16 and four. Yeah. In the playoffs, they. Got, uh, wow. So, anyway, good on them. We'll touch on them a little bit here shortly as well, a little more. Um, but Claude Lemieux, um, dra- he, his first season was '83. Yeah, he uh, played in for a played years. in uh, Montreal. Yeah, uh, that was his first NHL go. '83 um, uh, started things with Montreal um, and finished things in '09 in San Jose. Yeah, the la- the end of his career was pretty forgettable, but what, uh, that year, because his last uh, yeah. official year of his full yeah. uh, career was oh three, oh two, oh three with Dallas. Um, but he came back five years later for a season. Well, a season he played eight eighteen games, um, but for at least a, an appearance, I would assume to to officially retire as a shark kind of thing. 
um, with San Jose, kind of like Forsberg did with Colorado a, n- a number of years ago, um, and things like that. He, so. he just had uh, he he finished up the the majority of his career. He finished up in Phoenix, but he he won a cup in Montreal early on. Four uh, Stanley Cups. First full year in the league, he won a, a cup in Montreal. Yep, yep. He, he won. It would, he won two in New Jersey, and one in Colorado. Nope, uh, two in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. he won 90, 90, 1985-86 with Montreal. Yep. Uh, Stanley Cup in ninety four ninety five in New Jersey. Um, a Stanley Cup back to back Stanley Cups. Yes. Ninety five ninety six then with Colorado, and again in ninety nine two thousand with New Jersey again. <laughs> uh, he was con. He got has a con Smythe in ninety four ninety five with New Jersey. Um, he played 1,215 games in the NHL, uh, finished with 379 goals, 407 assists for 786 career points. Um, he was, so he, 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 he had himself a pretty solid career, um, based on stats here. He finished, he finished his career plus 14 overall uh, throughout his uh, 20 years. Um, and I mean, with Pims. Uh, penalty minutes. He had seventeen hundred, almost eighteen hundred, almost eighteen hundred regular season penalty minutes. Yeah. So another five hundred in the playoffs. He but, was kind of the, he was kind of the original Tom Wilson. He was a power forward. Well, he was the original Tom Wilson. If you look, if you in the comparison, because he put up numbers, and he was, he was a, a sought after commodity. Body. Yeah, but he was also a big body who wasn't afraid to be physical. Clearly, with his penalty minutes, he wasn't afraid to th- to throw. He wasn't afraid to do these things. For his time, he was his times Tom Wilson type of power forward. Yeah. Not not the fighting ability, not but, the fighting ability, or even the still... foot speed. But the but in comparing eras and yeah. times, he was. I like to say he was <laughs> the nineteen nineties, early two thousands. Tom Wilson. Yeah, uh, and that's a that's a pretty good comparison. He, you know, he just it wasn't. He scored, he scored approximately two thirds of a point per game throughout his entire career, and over twelve hundred games. That's a that's a great average. And he, but he did the same thing in the playoffs. He had two hundred thirty some playoff games, uh, and almost one hundred sixty points in the playoffs. So he was a, he was a two thirds of a point per night guy. And he was never playing the huge minutes, but it wasn't just the fact that he could put up some numbers and he was a big presence in the front and a big presence down low uh, on the boards and in the corners, but it was the timing of his goals. His goals in the playoffs were just, he was just a, he had a knack for it. (laughs) I don't, I don't know him and I don't, I don't want this to come out sounding like I, I know him and I know that he's a weirdo, but everybody called him Pepe, Pepe Lemieux. So Pep was, he was just one of those guys that when you're in the room with Pep, he's going to say, look, you're a, you know, you're only 22. I don't care what you think or how you, how good you think you are. You get me the puck. You make me look good. Okay. (laughs) And that's all you need to do. If you make me look good, we're going to be fine. If you don't, if you don't get the puck to me, then we got problems. So just make sure you give me the puck. So Pep was a little bit strange that way, a little bit old school, like especially later in his career. <laughs> it was just like, okay, everybody feed it to me. I'm going to be open. I'm going to bang it in. And uh, that's, you know, that's how I make my living. So make sure I get the puck. You get your time later. You get me the puck right now. 
As an Avalanche fan, he's iconic in the De- Detroit-Colorado rivalry. Oh, boy. With his hit on Draper, amongst other things. Yeah. But um, Lemieux was uh, drafted in the second round uh, by Montreal. He was a Three uh, Rivers guy. Number 26 by Montreal in the second round of the 83 draft. Um, brief stints with uh, Montreal um, and a Stanley Cup. Um, he became a uh, regular in 86, though. Right. That, that was, was his first, first year that he became an NHL regular. Yeah. Um, uh, he was traded to Colorado as part of a three-team trade in um, 90, September of 95. Helped, he was one. He is one of only 10 players ever to have back-to-back Stanley Cups. With different teams. With different teams. Right. Um, Can I just say one? Tenth, tenth player to win the Cup in consecutive years with different teams when he helped Colorado to its first championship, scoring 12 goals, or 12 points, five goals, seven assists in 19 games. Um in his first full year, Evan, in 1985-86, he played 10 games in the regular season at three points. Not a, not a jaw-dropping start. He played 20 games in the playoff run, scored 16 points in the playoffs. Yep. That's what makes everybody take notice of Pep. That's where he made his money. He was nothing spectacular. I don't want to say nothing spectacular. He was a a really solid second line guy for his entire career but when that's why he always had a job and in it's not just that he won Stanley Cups but look at the look at the teams that were cup contenders that wanted to go out and specifically get Pep on their team Colorado went after him when they made their run in 95 New Jersey went after him again after he left the Avalanche in, in uh, 2000. Uh, we're a contender. What do we need? We're missing a piece. Go get Pepe. And yep. that's, that's why his career probably lasted seven or eight years longer than if he had been one of those dash four guys in the playoffs. Yep. He retired in 03 04 uh, after playing in Switzerland. Um, he was well. The timeline of it to his retirement was: Lemieux scored 26 goals in 97-98, 27 and 98-99. In the early 99-2000 season, he was traded back to New Jersey. Um, he scored 17 goals in 70 games for the Devils, 10 points in 23 playoff games to become a four-time Cup winner, um, <laughs> defeating Dallas in a six-game final. After that season, uh, Lemieux signed with Phoenix um, as a free agent playing two and a half seasons there before he was traded to Dallas in 03 and he uh, then retired after playing in Switzerland in 03 04 uh, he did return to hockey in 08 09 at the age of 43 played briefly in China then signed with Worcester of the American Hockey League and earning an 18 game stint with the San Jose Sharks uh, though he managed only one assist uh, he also played uh, one playoff game before retiring for good finishing his NHL career with 786 points um, he had 158 points, 78 goals, 80 assists, 19 game winners in uh, 234 uh, career playoff games. Uh, 19 fa- game winners. Yeah, failing to qualify for the postseason only once in his 19 NHL seasons. 19 game winners in the playoffs. This is what. This is why, when we talked about this, he's the first guy that came to mind. Right? Like when when John brought this up, great idea. A lot of fun to think about, and the first guy that would pop to mind, and you saw him, you know, growing up, 
he was, Pepe was just all over it in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize he had 19 game winners. Yeah. Notes, uh, notable notes and uh, transactions for him throughout his career. He was a Quebec Major Junior Hockey League second All-Star team in '84. Uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League first All-Star team in '85. Uh, traded to New Jersey by Montreal for Sylvain Turgeon in September of 1990. Traded uh, to the Islanders by the Devils for Steve Thomas in '95. Um, traded to uh, Colorado by the Islanders. He didn't play on the island, right? I don't think. I never. I don't think he ever no, suited up for could, them. No, it was the same day he was then traded again. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he was traded to the Islanders by uh, New Jersey for Steve Thomas on October 3rd of 95. That same day, he was traded to Colorado by the Islanders for Wendell Clark. Oh, Jiminy. Um, now that, we're talking about a, a, like, I didn't realize he was traded for Stumpy yeah. uh, in the Islander-New Jersey deal, and then... I forgot Wendell Clark was. It was a it was a three team trade. So it was Colorado, the Islanders, and and New Jersey on that October third day. Traded to the Islanders for Steve Thomas that same day. Then then bounced kind of like the modern day Duchesne deal, right, right. with the the teams, uh, and then traded uh, to Colorado by the Islanders for Wendell Clark, um, in ninety five wow. on that same day. Uh, then he was then next note traded to New Jersey by Colorado with Colorado's first um, and second round picks, which turned out to be David Hale and Matt DeMarkey um, in 2000 uh, for Brian Ralston. And New Jersey's first round pick later traded to Boston, um, where they selected Martin Samuelson in the 2000 NHL draft. Uh, he signed as a free agent and um, signed by a free as a free agent by Phoenix in. December of 2000, uh, traded to Dallas by Phoenix for Scott Pellerin and uh, Dallas's fourth-round pick, which turned out to be Kevin Porter um, in the 2004 NHL draft. Uh, he signed as a free agent um, with Zug in the Swiss League <laughs> in, the Swiss League, yeah. um, in 2004, uh, signed as a free agent in, um, in China in 2008, signed as a free agent uh, by Worcestershire of the AHL in November of 2008, signed as a free agent by San Jose in December of 08, and officially retired in July of 09. It was tough to watch the comeback try. I got no skin in Pep's game at all. Don't have any feeling about him one way or the other. I know people, some people hate him, mostly Detroit fans. Some people love him. But, I, you know, I have no, no feeling about it one way or the other. But it was at 43, and he looked so badly out of shape. And when he tried to get make it back in San Jose, it was it was difficult to watch. Probably one of those things better left undone when he left Dallas in uh, two or three years prior. So, actually, it six did, years prior, it was tough to watch, but it didn't ruin the legacy that he brought. No, not at his, all through his career. So I mean, most it, people probably forgot the eighteen games in San Jose. They'll never forget nineteen game winners in the playoffs in a great yeah. career. So um, that's kind of a brief overview of. Um, uh, of his career, um, drafted in 83, um, fish officially fully retiring in 09, though, uh, stats wise and, um, production wise and relevancy wise, uh, he retired in 03. He was a full time guy for about 15 or 16 years and he won four cups and he was always in demand at the deadline because of the four cups and because of the four, the 19 game winners. Everybody loved having him around, especially in the spring. 
So now, now he lives on. His his son is uh, in the NHL. Um, is he in? The, he's with the Rangers. He's with the Rangers. Right? He's originally with the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, traded to the Rangers. I think as of the suspension of the league, by coincidence, he was being reviewed for suspension. Or did he get suspended? He got suspended, but the amount was to be determined. Okay. So he w- it was guaranteed he was <laughs> going to be suspended, but it, the number of games, because it was it was a game against Colorado, because that was the last game that the Rangers played before right. the stop that he, um, or what? Yeah, that he hit. I want to say Donskoy or somebody, um, blindside or or something like that, and. Um, so we don't and know. And then they, they suspended it and then they reviewed it. He's to be suspended, but they don't know how much until they start play again. But gotcha. Like, fa- like father, like son. Yeah, so. no doubt. Um, but yeah, no, he, I love Claude Lemieux. Great. Really, really polarizing, uh, really very polarizing figure for the hit on Draper. I think that's one of the things that he'll be best remembered for is just throwing a big can of gas, a tanker full of gas on that rivalry when he plastered Chris Draper. Yeah, that was... Uh, Yikes. But for the times, that, that brought that rivalry to the next uh, next level. That rivalry was fantastic. And quite frankly, and quite frankly, we can also do an episode um, on rivalries. Yeah, um, that would be good. Modern day rivalries versus classic rivalries. Um because it's m- my opinion that classic rivalries will always beat out modern day rivalries just with the way the game's done today. But um, I digress. Well, that- if you want to have some fun, go to uh, go to YouTube or wherever you get your streams from. Go to YouTube and just put in Quebec Nordiques, Montreal Canadiens back in the 80s. You won't believe your eyes. You will not believe your eyes. It's, it's, you talk about rivalries, that may be the best one I've ever seen. And Detroit, Colorado was great for a few years, and then there's you know rivalries in every sport. But that one, I've never seen more hate and more violence in, in, a, in 50, 60 years of watching hockey. I've never seen anything like that. Go look at Quebec versus Montreal and just watch what pops up and make yourself comfortable because it is just spectacular. I mean, if you like carnage, that's you're in the right spot. It's awesome. But, I, you know, I, I think a, a rivalry thing would be fun. Yeah. Uh-huh. And by the way, I just wanted to say to our loyal listener who suggested this whole playoff run idea, throughout this uh, China virus issue that we've been dealing with, Breakaway Brewing has been open throughout so that... Because, you know, people like us, we've always got to be drinking that beer. So it's nice to have them open. And uh, our, our, the mayor of Round Grove will know exactly what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Speaking of beer real quick before we transition to the L.A. Kings. Um, yes. Clearly not a paid segment. I, I just want to <laughs> mention it. Um, May 22nd, the six-pack EP is being put out by Florida Georgia Line. Six new summer songs. Oh, nice! With all with all with the the beauty of the song titles on beer cans. So look for that. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. 
Everybody who knows me pack. knows that I love Florida Georgia Line, so <laughs> uh, look for that. But we we covered uh, Claude Lemieux. Um, real brief. Great uh, do we want to? Real brief. Do we want to touch more than what we've already said? at the beginning about uh, the 2012 LA Kings. Uh, you know, the, the reason I like this story is that it is in, I'd, I'd have to look back. I mean, the original six days, that's tough, tough to account for because four teams made the playoffs, two series. It was just tougher to go and have a really, really underdog run. In my lifetime of, you know, watching and studying i i don't remember ever seeing anything quite like this one because they didn't just squeak in they they came in as the eighth seed as the wild card and they absolutely dominated they ran everybody out of the building in that playoff run in four series they lost four games it it was You'd have thought they you'd have thought they had a hundred and twenty five point season watching these guys play, yep. and it became, you know, it's such a monkey see monkey do world. The they were a big team. They were a north and south team. They were coached by a north and south guy and Daryl Sutter, and they just they were a dump and chase pound ground and pound team, and it became kind of a pattern. Chicago won a couple of cups playing that way. Uh, in subsequent years, the Kings won again in 14 with the same basic team. Uh, Chicago won two or three. The, the next time somebody, the next time somebody won without being a real heavyweight was Pittsburgh in 16. So everybody sort of copied that model for a while. Now they would be, they might be considered slow. But think about this: when a year and a half ago, at Christmas time, when the St. Louis Blues were at the bottom of the NHL, they were slow. They won 30 out of 35 games and won the Stanley Cup. Now they're not slow anymore. They're heavy. It's amazing what winning, uh-huh. how winning changes same the team, nar- that narrative a little same bit. Same guys, different coach, but the same guys. And now all of a sudden, they're heavy. So this Kings team was heavy. Um, they were fundamentally sound. They were no nonsense. Daryl Sutter coach team. And the fascinating thing to me wasn't that they won. It's that they they dominated. And you would never have thought that an eighth seed, and I don't think we've seen it since, where an eighth seed comes along and absolutely runs teams out of the building for two solid months. Haven't seen it. We haven't seen it since, but it's become more of the norm to get to the playoffs and then have have upsets Columbus over Tampa. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Like that, that. like yep. like maybe not run rough shot to win the cup, but it's upsets. become but it's become the norm to get to the playoffs and even not really be able to call it upsets anymore because you get to the playoffs and now it just now it's just sixteen teams going at it, where yep. where. Kind of like the educational system a little bit. Once you get to the real world, nobody cares about your grades. Right. Right. Once you get to the playoffs, nobody nobody's going to know that you had eight overtime points rather than 
eight more games with two points, right? Type of thing. They're they're, they're just looking at the fact that okay, you're there. That's right. So it's become kind of the norm. Whereas in 2012, it was oh my gosh, the eighth seed is now doing this, and that's not to trivialize 2012. That was fantastic. It's something that we haven't seen since, but. I think you you understand what I'm saying when I say that it's become kind of the norm today that now once you're there, there really is no real upsets anymore type of type yeah, of mentality, right? It's, I agree. It's, it's, it's kind it's of not... blended together a little bit to where now any team that makes the playoffs could very well win if that's, with the right things put together, right? That's so, the whole that's the whole mantra. And and using the upset uh of Columbus and Tampa. Yeah, they just it wasn't it wasn't the fact that they upset Tampa because Columbus was a very very scrappy, hard-working team, but they it was the fact that they swept them. Yeah. They I mean they absolutely they were down they were down in the first game and everybody was there down like 3 nothing in the first game and everybody went, "Well, here we go." Like switch the channel to get somebody that would get, turn a real series on, and the next thing you know, they they win for nothing. But so the, that the, goes to show you that upsets can still happen. Oh, for sure, and but that's the why the norm is more just a, a blend of okay, now just go out there and compete. Anybody can pick the favorites, yeah. but the the teams will all tell you just just get in, yeah. just win and get in, and then we'll see what happens from there because it's all a fresh start. And do you think? Do you think? Oh, uh, the overtime or shootout loss point has had a pretty heavy hand in the the blend a little bit, rather than the I sure do rather than the separation of oh my gosh, L.A. Kings 2012. Whereas now everybody's so close that once you're there, now anybody can take it on any given day type of has, yeah, has that been that one of the main contributors to that type of narrative in in many ways it has especially when you get to the end of the season and you see that there are teams out there and i'm i'm not i don't remember off the top of my head but i want to say boston which is and boston is a great team right now but in this season the boston bruins are i think they have one of the highest uh, overtime loss, they, they have 12, 12 points in overtime losses. Now, not that they're not a good team, but those are losses. Yep. They've lost four times in at home in regulation. Tremendous team. Nobody wants to play them. But that 12 points for losing is what galls me. I, I don't I don't like that. I don't like that method. There should never, ever be a point given for a loss, no matter when it was regulation or overtime or shootout or anything else if you want to go to three and two or something or three and one do that but giving giving half the number of points for a loss that you do for a win is just dumb to me and it and it it does like to you to answer your question it brings teams closer together which i guess was the whole point well that's that was my next question my next thought was from a competitive standpoint you don't like it but from a business standpoint, a money driving standpoint, a revenue standpoint, a a competitive standpoint on the basis of everybody's arrival of everybody type of every game is meaningful, every game is worth watching type of mentality. I think Gary Bettman in the league has succeeded in that regard 
by having the loser point because now even if you lose an overtime or a shootout if you got to overtime now all of a sudden instead of f- four points back of the playoff of the wild card spot of the playoff team you're three now instead you're three. of two you're one instead of one you're now tied and it's created that that nature so in that regard they've succeeded in it and yeah and they i think that was the point was to gain some parity but the think about it from the from the standpoint of the team that's in let's say seventh let's say you're in seventh place uh in the west right now you're calgary and you look up at the scoreboard and vancouver and minnesota are playing and they are what four or five points behind you if that becomes a three-point game now they both gain on you. Yeah, well, somebody lost and somebody won, but both teams gained ground on you. So your playoff position yeah. just became more tenuous because that was a three-point game in the conference. Again, and, again, though, I think that goes to from the objective competitive nature. It's not good, right? You don't like it. You, you, you know this and that if you lost you lost right like it is what it is go out and play better and get two points next time but from a parody um create new buzz in the league type type of thing perspective i think it's a good thing and i think the league succeeded at it so it depend to me it depends on how you look at it and what it brings because all of a sudden now what that creates is now is now vancouver and minnesota are now in your schedule for the upcoming week, right? And now it's now created the buzz where now if I want to solidify my playoff spot, then at Vancouver and at Minnesota this week are four must-have points. Four-point games. Otherwise, you know, otherwise, you know, and it's created that kind of buzz where now, okay, I'm really tuning in because... What what happens here? Vancouver solidifies themselves in the in the first wild card, seventh seed, or Vancouver or Minnesota, either one or both, close the gap even more because now they're playing each other, right? So it's created that. Yeah. So it depends on how you look at it, but it 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 is and it, it, it is an interesting thing, and that's why I wanted to ask the question of has the loser point contributed to the um, the parity and the um, lack of separation and the lack of upsets that today in today's nhl with yeah, with how they how it does things so. and and there's there's always the law of unintended consequences oh absolutely so now the for instance you're uh if you were to play out the regular season now you've got four or five teams in each conference well in the west anyway and two or three in the east that because of having eight or ten loser points, they're two games over five hundred, but they're not out of it. They're a they're a four out of five streak away from getting into you know being in a playoff position. So that's the idea, I guess. And it's so that a team like in a big market like Chicago Blackhawks this year, so that their fans aren't sitting on their hands in late February, right? Okay, we're 12, 13 points out of the playoffs. Forget it. Uh, wait till next year. Get somebody in the draft, and let's go. Well, exactly. The loser points created more revenue for the league because now people down the stretch, even though like Chicago, for example, is out of the playoffs, and and realistically, if we weren't if we weren't looking at 
a likely 2014 playoff in today's season, Chicago most likely wouldn't make the playoffs unless right. they unless they won 8 of 12 in the final 12 games of the regular season. So what it does now with the loser point is now it, it creates a situation where now people have a reason in those 12 games down that stretch, even with your team out of the playoffs, to continue to buy tickets because on any given night they can squeeze out one or two points and start closing that gap. And now all of a sudden as a fan, I'm hopeful that my Blackhawks are, oh, look at this. And now on top of that, I'm looking at the scoreboard that they have in the arenas too at the (laughs) other games that are going on and going, okay, wow, Minnesota's ahead of us and they're playing Colorado. We're obviously not going to catch Colorado. They're at the top of the division in the conference. But wait a minute, Colorado's beating Minnesota. So if we get even one point, let alone two, we're now closing that gap from six points out of the playoffs to now two, four points or three points. And And now, oh, okay, here we go. Now now we've got a different scenario, and and we just hope that they lose in regulation. And now we play Minnesota this week as well. So now, okay, now we can close it even more. And, you know, and it creates that. So it's created more revenue because now people have more of a reason to buy tickets rather than come early or mid-March going well. We're six or eight points out of a playoff. It, it's not going to happen. Right. So I'm just going to get ready for, for, for baseball season. Viewership. Right? Now, now it's, now, ooh, it's a Friday night. Now I've got some excitement to go see at my my local arena downtown yeah. rather than, eh, okay, what are we going to do? So right. it's in, in that regard, when you've got markets good, like good business and good yeah. marketing there to do, to do it that way to create revenue. So, and I mean, that's where, the as much as I always think of the business side of the game, the, the purest side of it still conflicts me sometimes. Oh, so, yeah. But I understand how for TV ratings in late March, 1st of April, and you've got the Rangers playing on one channel and you've got the Blackhawks playing on another, they're both a couple of regulation wins and a combination of somebody else losing away from the playoffs. Now everybody in those two giant markets are on the edge of their seat, which is what you want. You want them tuned in. You want to sell ads. You want... Uh, you want the buzz so i get it i don't necessarily like it but i get it gotta pay the bills absolutely so uh hope we uh we covered that to john's liking this week um (laughs) if not i i think john can rest comfortably knowing that just through the natural progression of content will eventually cover things i'm sure in a way that he that he's referencing if we haven't done it already so if you talk enough you're going to say everything sooner or later Uh, absolutely so uh what are we what are we looking forward to this coming week well i don't think we're going to see a finalized plan for a while it might be another week because the border's still closed i don't think anybody's going to get too excited until we know the border's going to be open uh so i'm not really i'm not really holding my breath for that one but what about you you we had talked about doing some um we talked about coaches a couple of episodes ago. We talked about uh, GMs and the whole the whole management process. Uh, episode or two prior to that, we both have a great interest in player evaluation and scouting, and uh, and how it how it translates from minor hockey to the NHL level. Yep. It would be a, a good a good way to kind of uh, create a fusion between our our pro hockey prod, podcast podcast and the developmental one no nope, agreed 
So I just spit my dentures all over the desk here. Looking forward to that in the, in the coming week, in the coming weeks, plural there. But um, yeah, so uh, hopefully um, for not only personal reasons, um, with family and other things, the border can get open a little bit, but also, yes. um, but also from a normalization of society a bit, we, we can get the border open and we can start start moving forward to getting back to normal. I'm not going to s- speak anything more than that because otherwise my blood pressure is going to get up, and on top of that, it doesn't fit a hockey podcast. But no, I'll leave I'll leave it at that. Hopefully, yes. f- for personal and hockey and and everything, the border gets open, we get back to normal a little bit. And that's what I'm looking forward to in the coming weeks here, yes. as well as covering um, some player evaluations and, yeah, and other things that. like that. So, looking forward to that. Um, we need to get uh, we need to get a couple more guests on here. Let's talk. Uh, let's see if we can get Greg Wilson on, and and maybe uh, see if we round up uh, Ryan or Ben Walter. Okay. Maybe we can get that uh, works. Get a couple of guys to come and join us and talk about player evaluation, player development, that kind of thing. That works. Um, Thank you all, listeners, for for tuning in. Been a, been some trying times, some interesting times, um, technical difficulties, uh, scheduling, um, amongst other things going on, as well as um, work and other personal things <laughs> happening in life. Uh, so thank you all for your patience, and thank you all for your support, for continuing to tune in. Our listeners are the driving force behind what we do. We can't thank you enough for continuing to support and continuing to tune in. Again, like we said, like I said at the beginning, uh, head to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you subscribe, you rate and review, you share with family and friends, you comment, uh, you ask questions, you engage with us, and uh, make sure you head to the necessary social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, even Twitter if you'd like. Um, that's Warren the Hockey Podcast and at Warren the Hockey Podcast. And make sure you follow along with us. If you want to follow along with me personally, at Evan Rauer. And um, yeah, uh, you'll see content there. You'll see um, continued content um, for the other venture going on. Uh, wife and I have a podcast as well that we've recorded the introduction or first little episode for uh, called The Blessings of Life. And um, so you can find uh, information and content for that on my personal page at Evan Rauer, um, as well as finding that on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio. Um, so, um, may I just close with one thing? And I promise I won't get it to the point where my eye twitches and the little wires touch. We're all in this together. Stay strong. <laughs> Stay home, everybody. Stay safe. Hashtag stronger together. Yay. In that, in that comment, dripping with sarcasm and <laughs> and cynicism, was something that I think we can all agree on, at least from the from the basis of everyday life, which is just stay healthy, stay happy, and uh, keep moving forward with family and friends and all the things that uh, you enjoy doing and and make you happy think we can agree on that so uh thank you all for tuning in again uh thank you for joining in studio love uh, it love it i'm evan rauer um with war in the hockey podcast and i will see you all throughout the hockey community cheers, cheers.